0: Hey, you're listening to the Canadian Agent Missional Podcast, and this is episode 97. Today we're going to be talking about how does individualization affect our faith and the church. Let's do this! All right, all right, all right. We are back together on another episode of the Canadian Asian Missional Podcast. And we're excited to jump into today's topic, which has affected our culture and us in a lot of different ways. And it is talking about the impact of individualism and how radical it is or hyper it is in our own context and in our own lives. And Right off the top of the bat, Xenia, Bernard, and Shu are here. How are you guys doing? Hello, hello.
1: Pretty good. Still really cold.
0: Still cold. <laughs> this, this basement has not changed since we started recording these episodes.
2: <laughs> we, need a, we need a space heater. do.
0: I need thicker socks. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but once again, you know, it's, it's just pushing us ahead, which is great. Which is great. And so, Xenia, you had asked this question. You had proposed this question for us to talk about on this podcast. And the moment you did, at least for me, I thought, yes, we need to talk about this. But it's sometimes even hard to even think about where to start about it and why it's important for us. So for you, you know, what was your motivation of wanting to ask and explore this type of topic?
1: I think it comes out of both my experience of theological education and also in the pastorate. I'm seeing a lot of questions come up for people about why is history important? Why is tradition important? Why is belonging to a church important? Uh, and, and this actually came up because we, I said to my church, hey, we're going to do membership class. And people go, but why do we have to belong to a denomination? Oh. And so it sparked some really interesting conversations that way. But I'm also realizing because of the professionalization of the clergy, Because we've got, we've just made the pastorate into, in some ways, and this is very controversial, and this is not all pastors, but it really is about sating and providing comfort for people. And instead of journeying with people, is how pastors are perceived. It's made being a pastor really difficult, especially as someone who, for whom, like those, those, that comforting, encouraging, gifting doesn't come, it's not mine. Like, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not the fuzziest person in the room, like I'm not the person you think, oh yeah, she'll give me a hug like that's not me, but the other thing is theological education is tilting very quickly towards clinical counseling and towards spiritual direction. Mm. Seminaries across the board are seeing more and more students enrolled uh, within within those programs, and in talking to several colleagues of mine, they'll say well it's actually really interesting because if you talk to some of these students and the majority of them are women they actually have pastoral giftings but they're in clinical counseling because they don't see an avenue into the church the church isn't well i mean we're, we're seeing pastors leave denominations and churches at a massive rate at the moment for various reasons and also because yeah it's just not safe for women oftentimes to be leaders in their own churches But that also is concerning to me because clinical counseling settings and spiritual direction settings, while they are very helpful, and I think they are necessary for holistic health, is is all about the individual. And so uh, what does that do for our discipleship when our first instinct isn't to question why are we verging on the individual and why have we left the communal behind? And what does that mean for our churches today?
0: Big question. That's a huge question and a very important question to ask. And I wanted to actually follow up quickly also from something you said about the response from your congregation is they're saying, why do we need to belong to a denomination? But are they also asking the same type of question when it pertains to being a part of a local body, like a local church?
1: Yeah, it's the same thing, right? So why, why is it important for us to have membership in a church? Mm. And it used to be people would say, oh, well, yeah, I like this church, so I'm going to become a member, right? And I, I mean, there's problems with that, too. But yeah, it's this it's this idea of, well, I determine my own commitment. If I say I want to go, then I'll just go. It's for some of my people, it very much is a trauma response. Um, and I think that's true for a lot of people right now. But it it also speaks to this this weariness of belonging to something institutional, if, if not communal. And my church is not institutional. Just imagination. There's not very <laughs> many of us in my church, but yeah, like I think the the misuse of covenant for a lot of us, um, right, has been, and and the the misnaming of covenant has been a huge issue for people. We just don't know what covenanting means anymore. Yeah, which has ramifications for marriage too. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. Yes, like by definition, a covenant is between two people or between groups of people. And so it necessitates that there need to be people involved, but we've lost something. Well,
2: you know, that's kind of the the shift to individualism, right? Then it's like, well, I covenanted, so I can free myself from the covenant, right? Then it's just like it's not really covenant, it's just you saying you.
0: You have made a type of association or some level of commitment, but when it no longer suits you. <laughs> yeah, it's you to jump ship. For you to jump ship. And you we know we've seen it, that there's, you know, that people just church hop and just be, what fits my needs at this particular moment in or season of life? Is that
3: kind of like, again, kind of where we're at, where a lot of people just want that plan B, just in case, like, if this screws up, then I can just, you know, for, for my own, like, I'll, sometimes it's like for my own mental health sake or, or whatever, just I want to leave the situation. You know, kind of thing, and and just like as long as I can have an out, so this is my way, kind of out. So I don't want to be a member, or I want to I want to be connected in this way. So yeah, and because maybe some of their experiences in the past. Mm-hmm. So that's what I've I've kind of noticed as well. So we were hesitant in that way, but yet it is interesting that that's maybe that's why marriages people wanted to get married is going really down. Like they want more, just you know, freedom, and so I don't want to be necessarily married or tied to this, you know, the institution of marriage, of how it's been defined. And people just don't want to be tied down to something in, in this culture. And Canada is probably, you know, ripe for that. Because we're so, you
0: could do you. You be you in Canada, right? In many different ways. <laughs> <laughs> for you to mention that, it's, it sounds almost like that viewing commitment is an attack on my individualism or it is something that can hold me back, or it can be something that is detrimental.
2: Actually, thinking about, you know, what you said, like, I wonder if there's also like a generational and cultural reality to that too. I mean, I hear a lot about how, you know, the generations are becoming less and less like, like rooted. Hmm. Like there's kind of this angst of like wanting new experiences. You were not going to stay in one place like vocationally. And then it may have, like, worked both ways where, you know, the employer would be like, well, they don't have that loyalty to you. So why would I have that loyalty back, right? Oh, no more and pension
3: then, and stuff.
2: Well, that's part of it. But then mm-hmm. it's also kind of like, well, if they're going to fire you, like, there's no, like, let's work it out. Like, you're fired. <laughs> you're you like, go, right. <laughs> then, then why would I invest in, you know, stuff like that? So there's, like, even embedded in our kind of cultural thinking, and I think that also shapes into our, our churches, right? And that kind of informs the way we think about, you know, the, even the relationships that we have in our churches. And so, like, I don't know, maybe maybe that's part of it.
1: Are you saying people are quiet quitting our churches? <laughs> maybe. <laughs> maybe. yep. <laughs> or loud. Yeah. yeah. Or, right. or, or loud, loud quit. <laughs>
2: quitting.
3: The church hasn't done itself favors, though, either. Yeah. like No. Yeah. You don't want to be part of this scandalous mess. And it hasn't you know, been good in, in, you know, news outlets or, or whatever lately. And, and even in our certain churches, there's been certain scandals and certain frustrations from people. So there is you know, the reaction to yeah. become radical individuals.
1: But I, I think here's where it's really, because I church plant, right? And my church is small. And I said, we don't have to replicate the sins of the past. We will probably because we're not, we're not immune to sin. But, you know, we can't keep complaining about churches if we're not willing to do the work of being a better example of who Christ is.
0: Many people would defy that statement. Yeah.
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Because it takes work. It takes energy. It takes intentionality.
0: Like, people won't define the church like that. It becomes, you know, what she was saying about dispenser of spiritual goods and with that when those goods are not met then you look for a different dispenser <laughs> right you know to use crass language in that way but here's the thing it's it's it doesn't even need to go to the point of scandals it just goes to even differences i disagree preferences which once again is more individual preferences now it's kind of more seen as like if we make this commitment and that means we have these responsibilities. And we have this challenge to try to work on these things together, but it's hard and it's painful and it's messy. And the path of least resistance is to to leave. To leave is also to be able to preserve the individualism and not to be say like, oh, staying only means I have to submit or conform. Or staying means I have to lose my individualism. But I think that's a malformed definition of what does it mean to be communal in that sense. And so I think this conversation in particular is so interesting for us because we see the effects of it all the time. And I I don't want to ever also put this solely on the people, on individual people too, because churches as as a people and as an organization and as as a communal entity also has had a lot of brokenness that it hasn't addressed, and that has also wounded people and caused people to, almost as a reaction to preserve themselves or out of safety, feel that they have to leave. But, you know, this can swing across the spectrum all the way to slight preference differences, to disagreements, to, of course, big scandals as well. We feel this, and I think navigating as ministers and as leaders in the church today means that this is always part of the context and the culture and the, the voice that is shaping people.
1: Yeah, and I mean, it's not to say that there aren't toxic situations that people need to get out of, right? Right. <laughs> That's Absolutely. always true. If you're in a toxic situation, please get out.
0: Abusive, toxic.
1: And I mean, I'm speaking as someone who, who left my own church that I grew up in, right? Bernard, you can speak to this too. It was funny because I was at a denominational meeting a couple of weeks ago, and someone said, "Well, why did you why did you join our denomination? Why did you leave your your home church and your home denomination?" And I said, "Well, part of it was just a theological difference. I'm still in community with my old church. I'm still friends with them. Like there's nothing barring me from visiting, and I have visited on occasion. But it, when it came down to it, I honestly, and I'm going to say this out loud. I didn't want to wait 15 years to get ordained. I would settle for five. And people would go, Well, but you can't transfer your experience in. And I said, That's fine. Five is better than 15. But the other thing is, is, that it really came, I said, the, the other thing that came up for me was that I wanted to be rooted in a tradition, in a history where, you know, those, those distinctions were being celebrated. They weren't distinctions to divide, but distinctions that opened up possibility of welcome and hospitality. And I think that was something that was, for me personally, was missing in, in my old context, particularly because a lot of uh, Southern Ontario Asians are very Reformed and, and that's not where I lean at all. So I, I think when it comes to those things, like again, it comes to discernment, it comes to active conversation with leadership. So when I left my old church, I, I didn't do it quietly. I told the board, I, I told the pastor, I had a conversation with them and I said, I'm not leaving out of spite. I'm not leaving out of this. I'm leaving because I feel God, God calling me to something else. I still want to be in a relationship with you, right? Like those are the things that I would like to see when people do choose to leave, to have those conversations and say, well, then can I have your blessing to leave? Can I continue to be in partnership with you? Right. Like those are those are things I'm not seeing when people just arbitrarily leave mm. their churches.
3: Not many people have that life maturity or even like spiritual maturity to do that. And I think we need to guide people through that process that and you know, like because I, I helped to start like a new a new site at my church and I had people coming in, people from other churches. And I was like, are you sure? Are you sure? You know, God's called you to leave. Have you talked to people within your community? Are you working these things out? And maybe you should ask first people and also God, like, are you, should I be released to this? And are we on a good place in this? Is this a, a good, you know, kind of uh, disengagement or, or, you know, moving on? Or is it just like, I just, you know, want something different. Uh, it's not cool anymore. You know, I find that that happens a lot. I'm not just saying young people either. It's a coffee man. It could be that, but there are old people who older people who do that too. And that's why I'm saying it's not just a a life maturity either. It's sometimes just a spiritual, emotional maturity that, that people haven't developed more. And I'm, I'm not sure. um, Yeah. I don't think it's a young thing only.
1: Mm -mm.
2: I know it's uh, probably harder in bigger churches, but we've, we've done this a couple of times where, individuals from our church are like, you know, God's really moved us to this other context. And as a church and as a church leadership, we were like, well, we we want to bless you and send you. Yeah. So we actually had a sending portion of our our gathering that like we're we're praying over them as God's moving them into this new context. We want them to be a blessing where they are, right? Um of course, like if it's a big church, you might have to do it every week, <laughs> which would <will> be hard. <laughs> but i think like you know like you said she like there isn't not just the individual maturity there's no like collective maturity as to think about like well how how can we do this better yeah. how can we have these honest conversations how can we recognize that like we're not breaking the covenant we are we're we're recognizing that you know there are differences but we're all actually part of a larger covenant of god's work and also kind of recognizing that there is then like a more localized kind of covenantal relationship
0: at the same time. That'd be so interesting to see a church work through that and to be able to do that, to be able to bless people when they are feeling called to another place or to a different context. Because it, it forces a church or, or, any, or any organization to be able to face that, hey, God could be doing something different in that person's life, and but we want to support and bless them as they go. And not to only see it as we're losing people and we are failing in our call to retain people. And I'm using kind of these things in kind of crass kind of more definitions. But I would almost say it unless we're willing to do that hard work of wrestling through that ourselves, of saying, like, no, when people leave, it's not a failure on a part of our church. Or sometimes it is, and maybe we need to own up to some of the reasons why some people are leaving and we need to address it and work on it and and confess and, and ask for healing. But there are other times where people leave for other reasons. And can we be able to say we bless them and also we send them out and we hope that, you know, in their new context, they are investing and participating and part of that new church or the new context. It's hard for us to get to those kind of places based off kind of the ways in which churches have been conceptualized.
1: Yeah, especially if you have been Participating in a church that is, you know, part of the early two thousands, late nineties boom, right? The seeker friendly. Just going to use a really crass term, but like people in seats, a sort of mentality. If, if you, Butts in if, seats. yeah, that's right. If you build, <laughs> they will come, and that's that's really not what the church is. We're not. We sh- we shouldn't be part of the consumer fabric, um, mm. and it really is about reintroducing relationship to people again. Be like, you know what? People do get hurt in relationship, but. Also, if you prioritize yourself as number 1, you will actually hurt other people mm. because you're selfish.
0: Oh.
1: Right? Like that's that's what prioritizing yourself means. And there's not it's not to say that you don't take care of yourself or have good self-care, but it it does mean that you need to look out for other people too. Is that what that's what it means to follow Jesus?
3: That's kind of though the like, a a different story than what the kind of current counseling trend is, right? It's like, take care of me, then I can take care of others, where I'm like, I don't know if Christ is telling us that as much as, it's more like, and, than, or, you know, kind of thing? And, if anything, taking care of others is part of what makes you a healthy human being in the image of Christ. Which, Which, you know, like, when
2: you said spiritual formation is often, you know, very individualistic, I do believe that spiritual formation does not need to be individualistic. It's just that the practice of it became like, oh, I just need a spiritual director for myself, and Mm -hmm. we just kind of talk about my life. But spiritual formation as a whole actually is a collective practice that we are formed together in the Holy Spirit, seeing and recognizing what God is doing. I think like there are redemptive aspects that can be seen to it, absolutely. Um, But it's just like how it's just how we have just naturally done it.
0: (laughs) Yeah, for sure. And you know what? We're going to switch gears a little bit just because we want to make sure that we are touching upon another part of this question, which is how is it lived out in Asian contexts? And I think this is the interesting part behind it because there seems to be, at least traditionally or historically, in Asian contexts more of a collectivistic or tribalistic mentality. And some of that has already kind of been built in where you know, we are not only individuals, but we, our identity is 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 connected to others and being a part of a people or being a part of a family. And I think that sometimes, you know, when we talk about honor and shame and stuff, that's connected to that. But it's interesting to see individualism start to take its own form in an Asian context. And maybe just for a couple moments, we can kind of discuss a little bit about you know how do we see it specifically lived out or being more evident in in an asian context
3: at least in my context i'm seeing a lot of people will you know i guess it is this this different philosophy that people are adopting if it becomes more about the individual and looking for my looking out for myself then in that asian context it's kind of really against the grain than, you know to traditional kind of asian family asian immigrant mentality but it's almost like uh, this all Asian or, or uh, family tradition thing was bad. So I need to remove myself from this and be Canadian almost. It's almost like this, mm. this war on, 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 your, on different kind of sides of the coin. It's almost like there's not, there's not enough space to discern. And, and the person as they're growing, they can actually have space to actually go, I did not like some of this stuff. They're able to say that. But not just say, but let me throw the baby out with the bathwater. Right. You know, and I find that that's the, the the struggling part where we don't have a lot of great spaces that we're able to do that. And usually just people just want to sl- do the quiet quitting or, or slip out or they, you know, loud quit or whatever. But <laughs> um, but it is within that that familial kind of side that as, as our kind of Asian collectivist kind of more culture that, that – that people are trying to react against and then let's just switch to an individualism or something like that and that'll solve everything. Hmm. I'm like, no, it's like there, there's, it's it shouldn't be a division, yeah. <laughs> you know, kind of thing. But that ends up happening. And especially, I find that that's the reaction. But now it's like, let's go to a multicultural church and that's really where you know, I Multicultural, can re- in quotes. Yeah, to, yeah. <laughs> right? Whose definition, right? Like air quotes. Yeah. yeah, but but then that that's the answer now, Triple or something quotes. like that. But if, if anything, to be honest, if I were to say as to be more quote unquote Canadian, it's just where you can be more individualistic. Oh. It's almost like a space where I can, you know, and but then you end up hearing it's like they they love the sermons, but I can't really you know stay and connect to a small group or whatever or a local community. Because I just want to, you know, come in and drop in for the things that I want to do. So that individualism is at play still there.
1: Yeah, for a little while, I just didn't, I didn't preach. Because for me, like, this is what John Wesley believed, right? That small groups, or what he called the classes, are the engines of the church. Bands, classes Mm. and bands are the engines of the church. And so I was like, well, formation happens in small groups. Why do I need to talk for eight minutes, eight to 15 minutes? Or longer a Chinese church is Chinese church is like forty right it's like <laughs> it's lecture. No, yeah it's it's like first of all I don't have the attention span for that and then second of all uh, people's attention spans aren't there either like we're told that people's attention spans are like what eleven seconds so people fade in and out anyway are they listening to you I don't know we um, don't
2: know if you're listening either yeah that's right <laughs> <Been a while. laughs>
1: We appreciate we just, it. Like, <laughs> spouting off, um, but it, it's really interesting because oftentimes when people leave the quote unquote Chinese church, they'll say, or I don't know whatever church it is, it's like, oh well, we didn't stay because it was too ethnic, right? Like it was too Chinese, too mm-hmm. Korean, too whatever. Yep. And for my context in particular, I look at them and I go, no, you—they're not. They're just a different kind of reformed than you are you've actually rebounded <laughs> to a different reformed. Right. You went from John Sung to John Piper. Like, those are, <laughs> you know, so know your history, people. Right. But it's it's not even just that. It's it's that we don't have enough recognition that even if we don't happen to speak the language, that sh- the culture is embedded even within our genes. Like, that's what we talk about when we talk about generational trauma. Um, the epigenetics, even, people are now saying those, those get passed on from generation to generation. You don't become less Chinese. You go to a quote-unquote multicultural church. And those multicultural churches don't often have a multicultural staff team. Just saying. The,
3: the only reason I know what you're talking about is because I watched this weird documentary about Dracula, the history of, of Count Vlad, and that people group <laughs> that he was uh, impaling and killing. They developed this, this, epi- this gene that they're like scientifically looking into that it was like, it's going to be, they're more have grit and then more survive through because they've been killed by all these regimes. Was, sorry. That was just,
0: that's amazing.
3: Yeah. That's yeah. A, I like, never
0: thought Dracula genetic would trauma. be brought that's, into the conversation. trauma.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you don't run away from your own trauma by going somewhere else. I'm just saying. But that's
0: people's responses.
1: Mm-hmm. And I think
0: that's the reality of what people go through. That there is that rejection of that. You know that background or that you know or that people group or that church or that ethnicity, whatever it could be that they're rejecting because they're hoping that by leaving and and escaping out of that, they're able to then heal and find something that is uh, more suited or or a better, healthier context grass Which, is greener <laughs> the grass is greener, and I think that exactly is the the mentality where you know, we're seeing people kind of leave toward what they perceive is the better context.
1: Yeah. And I mean, again, it comes down to discernment. I certainly found space healing in in a Wesleyan church when I moved to Ottawa. And for me, like that was one of the few spaces where I was able to unravel and do that work of discipleship and discernment that you were talking about to be able to sift through what was the part of history and tradition that I could lay claim on and own, and then which parts that I was like, no, this is toxic and unhealthy and sinful. Let's assume this needs to be given up, right? But without that space, without that work, I would have never been able to come back to Toronto and be able to say, actually, no, this, these are my people. This is the work that I've been called to. And these are the people I'm meant to serve. You, I mean, Bernard, you work in a multicultural church. You want to-
2: ish Like- yeah, I don't know. Like, I I also kind of realized within our own church that, like, as much as like we are seeking to be multicultural in our neighborhood and whatnot, like we do carry with us the baggage of particular traditions and particular practices. You know, even the language that we use, like, is framed in particulars. And yeah, it's, I think we just need to recognize, like, like you said, know know your history.
0: I guess one of the things maybe to kind of wrap up our episode today is talking about. You know, what are the type of spaces that are needed for us to form in regards to how do we unpack this? but how do we also make room and space in our current context so that we don't feel the, the sense that our only options is to reject and then to leave or just to fall into what individualism, but rather to be sitting in difference and tension and that it's not a bad thing if we're not <laughs> uniform <laughs> and you know to for lack of a better word but it can be that like we can still hold fellowship with one another and we can continue to do this hard work of figuring this out and submitting to god submitting to one another to pray through this rather than just lock into our positions and our individual preference and so What type of spaces are needed for us to kind of work through this and what kind of shifts can happen in our current context so that we are, you know, we're able to kind of navigate this together.
2: I remember uh, having a conversation with a friend who is like a denominational leader, Uh, not my denomination. Um, It's
0: okay. (laughs) But a a denomination,
2: which I shall not name. But anyways, uh, they were going through some stuff and then there's this one church that have decided that they're going to leave, but they just kind of left quietly. Um Without any conversation, and I remember that denominational leader saying, like, I really wish that they would not just leave and defellowship but have kind of the conversation. Let's work out this conflict together. Let's not lose you know the space to to dialogue and to mm-hmm. engage and And you know your question of like what kind of spaces do we need? I, I wonder if what we need to practice more is to deal with the crap together. And to make space to be like the crappiness and the the differences, they don't, they they should not be shoved to the back. They need to be brought to the forefront to work out. And, you know, like just like any family, you know, you have crap, you you deal with it. You don't just kind of like, ah, you know, I'm sure it'll go away at some point.
1: Because if you shove it down, you pass it on to your kid.
0: Oh yeah. Yeah.
1: But what you were saying was, Reminded me of that quote that gets attributed to John Wesley or Augustine or whatever: um, "In essentials, unity; in non-essentials, liberty; and in all things, charity." Charity, yeah. Um, I I don't think that we have enough charity in our churches, mm. and that's and that's something of the Lord that we can really really model, especially in our in our very polarized day and age.
3: Yeah, and I gravitate honestly more towards pastors, theologians, and the spiritual leaders uh, that are more ironic and who will kind of be bridge builders, even if we can disagree on certain theological stances or, or ways of being church, doing church. But I definitely gravitate more towards those people within these different quote unquote camps. Right. So that, cause I'm like, I'm hearing from them, like you're willing to even have conversation. You're willing to have these dialogue. And I think that's ultimately very Christ-like in that way, at least to the best way we can be, because we are not. Christ, so we can work within the body of Christ, the bigger body of Christ, and work out that way. But like you said, maybe it's even sinful, or maybe shout out J.R. Woodward's upcoming book, you know, Scandal <laughs> Leadership. It's this, it's this kind of way that we've been discipled to almost be, you know, against over and against each other. Maybe there's these powers and principalities at play. And until we can have some of that, it's like. I'll just keep looking like, oh, let's just pull back to this individualism and mine versus yours and, you know, versus, oh, can we can we talk about this a bit more? Can we have a coffee or, you know, have a some family powwow time about this? You know, like, I don't know.
1: Yeah, well, and I think specifically for Asian churches who believe in hierarchy, you might want to rethink that you might want to rethink what it looks like to give away power Mm. as opposed to just holding on to power. Because I think the more you hold on to power, the more likely it is that it becomes abusive Mm. because that power has, it becomes consuming, it it corrupts you, and it's not the way of Jesus. And I think that's what a lot of people are reacting to, right? Like when they decide to leave the, the Asian church. And so when you start to, as leaders, when you start to, when I start to model that giving away of power, it says, no, I believe that what God is doing among the people is, is vital, like empowering that is vital to my ministry to the body of Christ. Because we are supposed to, it's not, and it's funny because as Protestants, we believe in the priesthood of all believers, but we don't act like it within the Asian context. Mm. And so what does it look like for us to actually empower the priesthood of all believers instead of setting us Ourselves up as mediators between God and the people of God. Mm. That's not who we are.
0: It's a good word. And it's a reminder for all of us, and has been said earlier, that indeed we are the body. And no part of the body should ever say that, you know, I wish everyone else was like me or like, you know, I'm more important than the others. But we need one another and we need to work through these things together in, in that way. And we lose. And maybe it's part of learning that some parts of being an individual can be harmful in the ways we practice it toward the body as a whole. And maybe the more aware we are, that hopefully that we can be able to resist those things and that we would also lose a richness if we do separate from one another. And once again, this is not to say like that there's not legit reasons to, to leave or to to have individual thought because there are definitely times to leave and it is important that we are different and how do we kind of navigate through that? But I think there's a, something that's been helpful for me is to reorient the, the sense that, and maybe this is connected to our Asian context, the whole idea of harmony. And it's just like, well, harmony is the norm and what we should be, you know. Coercive harmony? <laughs> perhaps coercive harmony. I think I've learned, been learning over the years to reorient that the norm is, like, it's something we should strive for and work towards, and yes, we can experience at times, but it's messy to be people, (laughs) and that means it means to work through things, and that should be more the norm, but there is that hope of what God does to bring about peace and harmony as we do that together.
3: I think a lot of people look at that kind of Asian church context as Borg harmony. Right, like, it's just, you know, resistance is futile. Who's the, yeah.
0: who's the board queen? Uh, I, yeah, I'm not going to say name names, but
3: un, but yeah, until we have a relational kind of space for that and, and a talking. But it, again, it, it's not something we're used to, but something that's so needed.
2: But maybe it's not so much the word harmony that we're seeking, but it's shalom. Mm-hmm. You know, the peace of God that, you know, comes from reconciliation, restoration. Renewal and reimagination, right? Because, um, like, you know, I think we get stuck in particular frameworks. Whereas, like, th- there is already this beautiful framework that's there, and we just need to learn to shift
0: gears and reimagine, right? Mm-hmm. That's going to be it for our conversation today. Let us know how you are working this out in your own context. How does individualization affect your faith? your church, and how do you continue to unpack it? We'd love to hear from you. You could always reach us on email. Our email address is contact.campodcast@gmail.com. at gmail.com. That's contact.campodcast@gmail.com. at gmail.com. Or you can reach us by Facebook, Instagram, or by Twitter. If you haven't done so already, please remember to rate, review, subscribe, and share these episodes with others. That helps us to get this conversation out there and invite more people into it. Once again, you've been listening to the Canadian Agent Missional Podcast and we hope you'll join us on this journey. See you next time.